Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, football is officially here. The initial 49ers roster is set, and there were a few surprises, although not many. And with me this week, the newest applicant for the Texas general manager job, it's Kyle Posey. Surprisingly, haven't got fired for all those bad trades. How are you? Uh, so basically, you're looking to get fired from being the general manager for a team that has no general manager. That's a little bit like getting fired on your day off. Basically, you are Friday. I will take it. Hey, that's my goal in life right there. All right, man. The, the NFL world is upside down. I want to hear all about it. What, it. what were your thoughts when you saw that trade uh, with for Jadavian Clowney, who, of course, now comes in the division? And you're like, um, OK, for a third round pick and players that they were going to cut. Right. For nobodies. And and there was a running joke, obviously, that, you know, Bill O'Brien thinks he's getting back a first rounder himself. He's getting back Barkevius Mingo. Um, my initial thought was, who else called the Texans after that? Just offering the most ridiculous deals. Like if you're John Lynch, do you say, hey, let me offer you one slightly unused Marquise Goodwin for I don't know, a fourth round pick and you give me back DeAndre Hopkins. How's that sound? Oh yeah. I'm I'm one hundred percent trading Joshua Garnett over there. Like how how could you not trade Garnett over there? That's the one thing it's like just throw an offer out there. Just be like, you know what? Here's Garnett. I promise you, he's really good. Uh yeah. let's go ahead and just get Nook. Let's do it. <laughs> you take you take Garnett, give me back Watt, and we'll call it even. I'm into it. I'm so that's probably who they would go after too, because that they would exactly want another lineman. They wouldn't go for a wide receiver. They wouldn't go for a safety. They wouldn't go for even like a slightly used Tyron Matthew. They would go for another lineman because, hey, Niners. Uh, but that's not even the most interesting football story I read this week. I, I read that there is a human being in the world whose name, and I quote, is the coldest to ever do it, Crawford. That's his full name. I have not stopped thinking about this for the, like at least three days. How at what point are you going to change your Twitter hand Twitter handle to the coldest to ever do it? And for those that don't know, he is not lying. It sounds just like it's pronounced D E C O L D E S T. Middle name T O E V A D O I T. The coldest. Don't sleep. Do don't sleep on the capital E though. It's T O capital E V A. Ah, true. But, <laughs> I, <laughs> but they didn't even capitalize the D. Anyways, all right. Kyle, editor at NinersNation.com, here to talk about two major things. Let's talk about the roster, and then let's get to a week one preview for Tampa Bay. Because the roster, well, they had some surprises, had some not-so-surprises, but the big news coming off the roster is that they kept some extra players at certain positions. Of course, they kept three quarterbacks. Now, Nick Mullins is officially the back quarterback, CJ Beathard being the third quarterback and likely inactive on game days. And, of course, they kept four tight ends. Caden Smith, draft pick, and Levine Toilolo, who also managed to make the roster. Uh, were there anything other than those two items that really surprised you from the Niners' final cuts? Yeah, I think you have to talk about Demontre Moore, just how productive he was during the preseason. And, I mean, he just he did everything you look for. You bring in a guy, you bring in a guy at a position of need, produces and you cut him, and you leave four tight ends. And these four tight ends better be phenomenal special teamers. I'm talking like Raheem, making Raheem Mostert blush. Um, I just really think that that was a, I mean, it's a shot in the dark. It's a, you're kind of hoping, and we'll probably get to this as well, keeping three quarterbacks, 
you're assume assuming that you know you can get a trade for CJ Beathard, but the cutting Demontre Moore and also rolling with three safeties at the time. I know they've added Exum, but it's just uh it's just a little bit of a head scratcher. What about you? What do you think? I really got to think that three quarterbacks is is just trade fodder because at that point you don't dress one of them. And I know that you're thinking to yourself, oh well, these are three NFL caliber quarterbacks, but I mean, are they? Are they really? I think right. that it's just got to be trade bait. It has to be. And I hope they can flip CJ Bathard for a pick. Um, but at this point, knowing that he's their third quarterback, they lose a little bit of leverage. And and really, I think they're not. If they can get a fifth or at most fourth round pick, they've got to do it. But reports were that they wanted a third round pick. And that's that's rich, man. I don't know that they're going to be able to pry that from another team's cold dead hands. Because you drafted a player in the third round does not mean he has third round value. And I think just looking back at some of the recent picks, Joshua Garnett does not have first round value. Uh, just, yeah, just go down the line. I mean, there's a few of them. Just these guys, because they were taken there, doesn't mean you're going to get that. And I would love to get a fifth round pick for CJ Beathard. Like that would be an ideal scenario. I mean, obviously a third round would be great in a perfect world, but that's just not realistic. So, yeah, I think you said it. You hit it on the head there. Kyle Shanahan, is, he's basically betting on himself and on his front office and on CJ Beathard that he will be able to flip him for another pick. Now, interesting with Jarek McKinnon, of course, he ends another year on injured reserve. He's going to have a procedure on his knee and then effectively ends his year because he was moved to injured reserve before he made the initial 53. His year is toast. He is not eligible to come back in the middle of the year like Contavious Street. But what's interesting is I saw a lot of fans on Twitter and a lot of people talking about how this was a terrible signing because of the injury. And I think that's absolutely the wrong takeaway. The, the issue was not that he got injured. Injuries happen and it sucks and you can never predict that someone's ACL is going to get torn. The, the issue is that the 49ers, even after Ezekiel Elliott's brand new sparkling new deal, uh, still have the most number of cap dollars tied up in the running back position. A position that, yes, gets injured at a little higher rate than most other positions, um, but a position that you can get equal production for not spending as much money. I mean, Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida when you look at next year's cap combined, it are going to combine for about $8.9 million in cap space. Whereas if Jarek McKinnon stays next year and does not restructure his deal, he's at about $8.8 million. So you take two running backs that are going to be serviceable for the entire year this year, and they amount to one Jarek McKinnon. It's not that Jarek McKinnon's knee was the issue. It's that it was an overpay when they did it, and the worst case scenario happened, and now they're likely going to need to restructure his deal if he's going to play a snap in a 49er uniform. Do you think he plays a snap in a 49er uniform? Not without a restructure. Uh, his cap number is 8.8 .8 million or 8.9 million next year. And unless that number comes down, I think it's absolutely going to be a, a cut type of situation because the way the guaranteed money came out on the deal, all of the guaranteed money was basically paid in the first two years. I think his cap hit reduces to something really, really palatable next year. Uh, and so I think uh, unless it's, it's at least the guarantees uh, come down to something really palatable, and that means the dead money comes down to something reasonable. So unless he restructures, I don't think that he does. And especially if Breda and Coleman have a good year, there's just there's no reason to do it. Yeah, I just can't imagine just watching watching McKinnon and coming away thinking that, you know, this guy's going to change my offense. Obviously, he's very fast. But if you guys, if you just have seen him play with the Vikings, he never really made people miss. He was just running straight very fast. And that that's was that was his calling card. I know the other 
Um, the other running back in the free agency in that class was Deion Lewis, who was a very good inside runner. And what do the 49ers lack right now? An inside runner. And I know he's 195 pounds, but for a team that runs zone, that relies on runners that have vision, Deion Lewis was probably a better cut, um, just a better signing. So if you want to just be mad at McKinnon, it's not so much the injury, it's the money that they have allocated to the position, as well as the player that they've signed. Yeah, I think if you, if you look at over the cap and you look at his dead money, the, the Niners would actually save $4.5 million. Um, and ba- I think the net is going to be a $500 or a $550,000 cap savings in 2020 if they cut him. Of course, if they keep him, uh, his uh, salary becomes guaranteed, and then all of a sudden he's there for the, the full $8.5 million. So it sucks because I, I do think actually Jerick McKinnon is, is a player that Shanahan would have used very well. But Shanahan has a player that he can use similarly, I think, to Jarek McKinnon in Tevin Coleman. He just got him for a hell of a lot cheaper because the, the skill that's, that Shanahan looks for uh, is uh, easier to find with running backs when you look at Coleman uh, and Breida. But you look at some of the other players that the Niners cut, Adrian Colbert. Um, he is the 49ers Icarus. He flew a little too far to the sun or too close to the sun. And now he is on the 49ers injured reserve, likely will get an injury settlement. And Joshua Garnett. I think you alluded to it earlier, man. He does not have first-round value. He likely was not and shouldn't have been a first-round pick. Uh, but he's now no longer a 49er. I hope he gets picked up by another team, likely a better scheme fit. But it just never came together for the 49ers. Yeah, and these two aren't really surprise cuts. I mean, the writing was kind of on the wall. Colbert, been banged up, only played a couple games in the preseason. And it just seems like he, he was never really taking the next step. You know, you want a guy that's that is aware when he's in coverage and Colbert seems like he's he does a pretty good job coming forward but when he does that he tends to overrun some plays and he's just kind of a little too reckless for my liking and I think that had something to do with it as well and then Garnett I think is a really good call about scheme fit he he will be a solid player and as I hope you know that what's going to happen is he's going to go to a team he's going to go to a team that runs a bunch of power and you know uh, those type of plays that fit in the gap scheme and he's never going to miss another snap in his life you understand that's how this works right oh absolutely he's going to end up yeah he's already visited with the seahawks he's going to be a lifelong seahawk and it's going to be wonderful he's going to have a long career there maybe get a pro bowl or two um because that's that's the way the world works um, I, I don't think that the seahawks are a good scheme for him because they're another zone blocking scheme i do think a team like the baltimore ravens though could be interesting because they're going to run uh, a lot of they're going to run some gap schemes they're going to run a bit more power they're going to run the ball a lot um, and Garnett, he succeeded at Stanford uh, at pulling as long as he could keep players on a straight line track in front of him. It was just the agility and the lateral movement that he wasn't super good at that was always a problem for him. You know, when thinking about Adrian Colbert, I think about something that Dan Hatman, who uh, is the, the head of scouting at the Scouting Academy, said about players. And he said, oftentimes, we think that the player is going to develop linearly and that the way they are as a rookie is the worst they're ever going to be in the NFL. And that may not be the case. Like sometimes when we see a rookie perform for whatever reason, that might be the best that they're ever going to be in the NFL. And whether it be because of injuries or regression or scheme or whatever, they may never reach that height. And unfortunately, that seemed to be the case with Colbert, at least with his time at the 49ers. And, uh, you know, I hope that that's not the case for him as a player because I think he's a good human, uh, but it just didn't work out with the 49ers. Yeah, that's a good point. And Matt Khalil, I think, is a really good example of that, where I, I think he made the Pro Bowl as a left tackle. And he's out there and his name's being floated around there uh, with the 49ers, where he had a really good rookie season. 
And then you just kind of get exposed. You put some things on tape and you never really take the next step and whatever it may be. But you kind of just plateau as a rookie. And sometimes you trend the wrong direction. Yeah, you know, I think you mentioned offensive line, and that's probably where the Niners are the shakiest is at swing tackle. Um, I don't think Justin School is the answer. He is probably a practice squad player, and I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think the team kept him on there because they felt like they drafted him and they needed to keep him on there for a year. Um, but depth at swing tackle is definitely needed. The Niners are definitely looking to add a player in that department, and they're going to need to because if anything happens to McGlinchey or Staley, um, it's going to be pretty disastrous. Yeah, good night. And I think that is not a great mindset to have just because you drafted a player, especially in the sixth round where there's I mean, you're not going to hit on a sixth rounder. Odds are odds pretty much are you're not going to hit on a sixth rounder. So with that said, because school looked completely out of his depth, there were some very bad reps that he had on tape. And it wasn't just in the preseason games. He was getting blown up in practice as well. And I think it it's just best. And I, I know you want to develop him and use your six rounder, but I mean, just move on. There's nothing wrong with admitting a mistake. And I, I, it might not be fair to call it a mistake, but this is the business of trying to turn over your roster and trying to get better. And the 49ers have done a good job of that over the last couple of years. But I don't know that's keeping school around is the best way. I, I certainly think that it's it's too early to call him a, a mistake, but he needs some seasoning. He needs some salt. And, and I don't know that the roster is I mean, that's what the practice squad is exactly for. And so I think he was probably deserving of a roster spot on, on the practice squad. But the, the Niners have kept him. And now with Glutz at at quarterback and at tight end. You have uh, the inability to keep extra players at a place where you might need them, like the offensive line. Uh, you know, I think that there's something interesting uh, that's a theme that I've seen over the offseason that has continued with the players on the roster so far, and that's really the importance of position coaches. You look at a couple players, Jeremiah Valoaga, who's now on the practice squad, and Aziz Alshair, who's made the 53. Both of those have interesting stories when it comes to position coaches. You've got Jeremiah uh, Valawaga, who's with Chris Kasurik as an undrafted player that caught on with the Lions in 2017. Of course, Kasurik was the defensive line coach at the time. Kasurik then moves to Miami. Lo and behold, you got Valawaga on the practice squad there. And then Chris Kasurik comes to the 49ers, and Valawaga is reprising his role as Chris Kasurik's favorite practice squad player. And, and so I think you've got certainly a lot of influence there when it comes to the position coach picking his player and influencing the roster. Uh, and, and I think that it's, it's important to note that position coaches uh, aren't just the, the dressing on the wall. They can actually have a real impact on the players you end up with and how they develop. I think there's no doubt about it. I think we underrate position coaches and just the value that they have in being able to take a player to the next step. And I think that we will be able to see that with Joe Woods this year specifically. Um, he's getting his hands on a talented safety in Tarverius Moore. He's getting his hands on a talented cornerback in Achilleo Witherspoon. And just kind of seeing their confidence grow and their physicality. I think we saw that in the preseason where Witherspoon was coming up and making plays against the run. That was really good to see. I don't think we really saw that last year. So, yeah, I definitely think that the 49ers position coaches have have made a significant impact early on. And you look at one of the preseason kind of story of the year players is Aziz Alshair. He's from Hillsborough County in Florida, of course, of which Tampa is the largest city. So he's going to come back for a little bit of a homecoming in week one. But Chris Kiffin was his defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at FAU back in 2017. And now, of course, Chris Kiffin is with the 49ers, and that's how Al Shire eventually got on the 49ers' radar, and now he's made the 53. I mean, his story is pretty amazing. He was a sophomore in high school when his grandmother's house burned down. He was living in and out of hotels. 
he had to ride a bus two and a half to three hours to get to school, and he dropped off his little brothers and sisters to school on the way, which is why it took him two to three hours to get to school. And he's basically just persevered, and you know he's he's one of those real started from the bottom stories. And I'm really happy he made the roster because uh, a few weeks ago I read that story and I was like, man, if anyone has the ability to make it, I think he can. Not just because he's got a good story, but because he's a good player. And, and frankly, I think he's played just as good as Dre Greenlaw, who's been getting more hype this preseason. Yeah, and naturally Greenlaw is going to get the hype just because he was a higher draft pick or an actual draft pick. And he made the splash plays and now he's a starter. So, um, But if you watch Al-Shahir, if you saw him in college, man, he had a thousand tackles during his career. He was just all over the place. And his ceiling is probably higher. Um, it, it'll take some time just because he's coming off that injury. But I think a year from now, we'll really get a chance to see the type of athlete Al-Shahir was. But I'm I'm interested to see him. I'm interested to see um, how D'Amico Ryans, who's another position coach at, man, I if you just kind of see him interact with players and see the type of control that he takes when when he speaks and how everybody looks towards him. He seems like out of all the players, all the coaches that we've mentioned, he seems like a guy that would absolutely be a good defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, you got Aziz Alshair, who only missed two tackles in the preseason, and this is on 124 total plays. He was very, very good in coverage because his athleticism really shined in coverage. He's, I mean, he's a really, really fast guy, and he did recover from his injury, I think, really fast. And and he had a great coverage ability in the preseason. He's got, I think, seven stops overall, and not just in the pass game, that's total. Now, only allowed four receptions. So this is a player, I think, that looks like an NFL athlete. And when you when you take a player like uh, uh, Shayer and you're looking at his school and you're like, oh, Florida Atlantic, I, I don't know. I mean, you've got Kiffin, but whatever. Ultimately, what helps those players shine in the NFL is their athletic ability. And, and he has that in spades. This is how someone like Matt Breida translates to the NFL because he is a ridiculous athlete. And I think Al Shayer is in that category as well. So I'm super excited to watch his career. Uh, with the 49ers I hope he's successful uh, and I do think that he will probably press next year as you say for some serious uh, for some serious for some serious snaps yeah and I think that I have a take here by the way I think that we don't talk about linebacker we should talk about linebacker the way we talk about running backs just how they're replaceable and I feel like if given the opportunity Al Shahir would probably be able to put up the same sort of statistics that Quan Alexander would this year. And I love the energy that Quan Alexander brings. I think he's done a great job of bringing the best out of Fred Warner. But as far as on the field production goes, I would feel comfortable rolling out a rookie there. And there's going to be some bumps in the road, of course, but over the course of the season and obviously throughout his career or the next few, the next few seasons, if Quan is supposedly going to play out his contract, I would take the undrafted free agent and roll with him. But I mean, that's a whole other discussion. While uh, you're not going to find too much disagreement about linebackers uh, and the lack of their importance on this podcast, my friend, uh, it, sounds like you've, <laughs> it sounds like you've been listening to, to the show once or twice. Uh, but I do think that while I would still put running back under the linebacker and the, the totem pole of importance. Uh, but, <laughs> but overall, I do think that Al Shire can affect the game the same way that Quan Alexander does, which is in the passing game. Because Quan Alexander is a better coverage defender than he is a run defender. And you know what? In today's NFL, it's probably for the best. It's because I think how a linebacker affects your defense is better in the passing game than necessarily in the run game. I have a a friend, Justice Mosqueda. He has a quote, and he tells me this all the time. 
linebackers are just trained pigs. How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, look, there's no reason to insult pigs. Okay. <laughs> I actually, I, I'm not here for this pig slander. All right. Um, I actually, I, I shit you not. I saw someone walking a pig uh, last week while I was getting a burger at this place called Hop Daddy here in Austin, Texas. And they were full on just walking the pig, had a leash on and everything. It was just a pot belly <laughs> kicking it. Um, maybe it was his own personal linebacker. Uh, but overall, so let's get to the 49ers roster because overall, I think it's interesting to compare their roster to a couple of teams that are contenders or are division rivals that are thought to be a team that could make the playoffs. Because this is the year for the 49ers where it's it's really win now. And by win, we don't necessarily mean 11, 12, 13 wins. But I think everyone is really thinking that it's playoffs at this point or bust. And when you compare their roster against, say, like Philadelphia, who is, of course, a contender in the NFC, and they have been for a couple of years, uh, and they're a contender that has managed to overcome a quarterback injury, uh, of course, while paying their quarterback lots of money. And then Seattle, who's a division rival, who is... In the mix again, people think they're going to take a down year, but they are consistently in that playoff hunt near the end of the year. How do you think the 49ers roster compares to, say, the Eagles or the Seahawks? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's it's fair to start talking about that now because, you know, we're in entering year three and it's it's not now or never, but it's pretty close to now or never. Um, as far as comparing the rosters go, I think they're a couple tiers or so below the Eagles because, like you mentioned, the Eagles sustained a quarterback injury and they were able to, what, go to the, the freaking Super Bowl. Who like who can say that they are able to do that? But if you just kind of look at the Eagles roster and compare it to the 49ers roster, the difference would be Bosa goes down, what, Eric Armstead or Solomon Thomas, whoever comes in, whereas you know, somebody from the Eagles goes down. They just have, they have better depth all around and not just at one position. They have legit players that would probably start on a lot of teams backing up. So I think their depth is better than 49ers. I do think that the 49ers are more comparable, if not better than the Seahawks, because I don't think the Seahawks have a lot of depth. And I just think that, that they lost some players that will hurt them. And I actually think they're a little overrated, but I would say that the 49ers roster is, more more than competent. I would say that they're close to playoff caliber. They just have to prove it. Like, it comes down to the quarterback, essentially. What do, where do you stand on the 49ers roster? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely don't think they're at the level of the Philadelphia Eagles. I think you're right. Top to bottom, the Eagles still have a better and more proven roster. I think even along the defensive line, you've got, you know, players like Fletcher Cox and you've got Derek Barnett and, and Brandon Graham. I mean, those players will stack up comparably to all the players that the 49ers have. But then you've got Timmy Jernigan, Vinny Curry, uh, even yeah. Hassan Ridgeway, right? Um, and, and Josh Sweat, I know he's more of a workout wonder and he hasn't you know, kind of put it all together, but he's still someone who can win off the edge with some speed. So I think even their defensive line, which is the 49ers' strength, is, is comparable. But they have, they have a better secondary all around, easily. Um, yes. I mean, I've always liked Anderson Deho, and he may be a little uh, over the hill, but I think he's still uh, a better player than, than what you might see with the 49ers uh, right now. And so I think that's that's an interesting comp. I do think that they are a a comparable, if not better, roster top to bottom than Seattle Seahawks. But the Seattle Seahawks have Russell Wilson. They have a proven yep. quarterback, uh, and that's ultimately what puts them over the top. So, you know, I think biggest disappointment for me, last thing on, on the roster, is just that uh, Demontre Moore didn't make the team. I think that sucks. I think someone like Contavious Street, uh, you know, they're looking to bring him back at the at the you know middle of the year. 
I think that's another player you probably should have stashed in IR to make him a red shirt. Uh, and I think Demontre Moore is a better fit and can probably provide more quality snaps right off the bat than someone like Contavious Street can. Um, but I get it. He's he's un, he's not going to be a starter. He's probably going to be your fourth edge rusher. The team thinks Ronald Blair can do it. Uh, and so a quality player, I think, got cut or a, a player that could have provided some quality snaps for the team got cut. Let's say it's third down and D Ford's gassed. So he has to come out of the game. You have Bosa, Buckner, Solomon Thomas. Would you would you trust going against, uh, let's say, left tackle? Would you trust Ronald Blair or Demontre Moore to to impact the play? Oh man, that's a, that's a good question. Um, honestly, at this point, based on what I've seen so far and based on, I think that you probably trust Demontre more, but I do think it's close between him and Blair. I just don't think Blair has shown as much refinement at the edge position as Demontre more. Um, even though I do think Blair is an athletic, uh, an athletic individual and he's gifted, I do think it's really, really close. Uh, and I do think that Demontre Moore probably, you know, takes the edge. I mean, y- you look at what he's been able to do in the preseason. He's been able to dunk on people he should have dunked on. He's got 17 total pressures. He's got three sacks. Uh, and those weren't like, you know, oh, I'm going to clean up and the quarterback's going to run an enemy type of sacks. These are like actual, I'm pushing the left tackle off of me or I'm making an inside move and, and making a sack. And so it just, it sucks. Uh, I do think he's good enough to be on an NFL roster, um, even if that's not the 49ers and and I do think that keeping three quarterbacks because you're hoping to flip one or four tight ends because Levine Toy Lolo is going to do something. Um, I think Moore is probably going to, if you're all in on the on the front seven, going to be more impactful than Levine Toy Lolo. I think this is a good example of teams struggling to evaluate their own roster. And I mean, we're we're talking about the f- players that are in the 40s on your roster. So this this isn't an impact player by any means, but. What are the odds that a team would have poached Street, who has never played it down in the NFL? He missed all year with an injury. What are the chances that he gets claimed off of the practice squad? Do you, do you think that that was a high probability? I don't know. I, I really don't know because I do think that Street is someone who might be able to fit better on someone else's roster. Like he would fit better, I think. He he literally is Tank Harding. Like he would fit better in just a ah. different scan, in a different <laughs> scheme. And and I don't know that that scheme is necessarily the one where you've got edge players that you want screaming off the edge in the same mold as D Ford and in the same mold as, as Nick Bosa. So I think that, that I don't know that he would, I don't know that he fits the Niners, but that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't get claimed or picked up off the practice squad. To me, the, the real Rob here is the extra quarterback and the tight end, because I, I don't think that that extra quarterback is going to do much of anything. Uh, and I think your fourth tight end, it, Levine Toilolo, he's, I mean, he's a street free agent at this point. So um, you know, you're going to, you're going to strengthen your strength and, and that's what you do to kind of get over the roster hump. And I don't know that, that going with living toy Lolo is necessarily that he better be a special teams demon. He better make Raheem Mostert blush with the way he covers kicks or whatever his contributions be, are, because like, yeah, like you said, nobody is missing living toy Lolo on their roster. So yeah, interesting, but here we are. All right, well, let's get to the week one preview against the old Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But before we do that, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. Week one, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's talk about the matchup that matters, uh, and that's going to be punters. Because what is this but if not the punter revenge game? It is Bradley Pinion versus Mitch Wisnowski. This is what we are here for. It's the Better Rivals Bowl. Kyle, are you on board? 
Better Rivals Bowl. Love it. Yeah, man. Um, what do you let's talk about this Tampa Bay game. So um, let's start with the one and only Jameis Winston. As a Florida State fan, it pains me to watch him throw the ball, knowing that it's probably going to end up on the other team. Um, he just makes some very questionable decisions. Are you high on Jameis Winston? Where do you feel about him? Uh, am I high? Do I have to be to like Jameis Winston? I feel like those were those were interrelated questions uh, because honestly, J- Jameis Winston, look, he's he's an enigma wrapped in a turnover, wrapped in a touchdown because he's going into his fifth year. He's earning twenty point nine million dollars. That's roughly a million dollars for every win he's produced in his career. Uh, what we know about him is that he is prone to the boneheaded turnover, but he's also going to make some eye popping throws. And it's been that way pretty much since his rookie year. Um, when he wasn't dunking on players when he was, you know, in college and at Florida State. Quarterback style is sticky. Certain things are more stable year to year. Success from a clean pocket is pretty stable because that's what the quarterback can control. Their time to throw is pretty sticky. That's that that's their style, right? Russell Wilson's always going to have a high time to throw. Um, and then their risk tolerance is pretty sticky. A gunslinger, someone who tries to force it in there, who tries to trust their arm, is generally going to do that repeatedly. And someone's not going to turn from Mr. Conservative into Mr. Gunslinger overnight. And, and when you look at those three things, this is where Jameis Winston ends up having some problems. He's not super successful from a clean pocket. He does increase his time to throw. He likes to hold on to the ball. And he likes to take risks. And when you put all of that together, you end up with a pretty mediocre quarterback. That's exactly what he is. And he just, for whatever reason, he just can't seem to get out of his own way. He wants to make the home run play, like you mentioned, so much. Like he wants to make the big play, he wants to score a touchdown every drop back. And that's really, really hurting him. And if, like if, if you want a quarterback to start out the season, if you are a young and inexperienced secondary or just a 49er who are just made, made some changes. Like this is a quarterback you want to go up against a guy that doesn't throw the ball away. I believe he threw the ball away. He dropped back 441 times last year. He threw the ball away five times. So that tells you he's just holding on. He's taking sacks. He's, he's putting the ball in harm's way. So, I mean, the 49ers have, they have, this is a guy that they have to take advantage of. Yeah, when you think of taking advantage of a player, this is a game, I think, where the Niners can really or should really get a turnover from the secondary. Jameis is known, as we said, for some eye-popping throws, but he's also known for boneheaded decisions. And when you think of his turnover-worthy plays, as defined by Pro Football Focus, the outcome of those plays, which Jameis Winston has a lot of, is pretty interesting. When you get a turnover-worthy throw or a turnover-worthy play, those throws result in a a completion percentage of just 2.2%, a passer rating of 0.57, and last season, just one lucky touchdown, which means that I could throw the ball down at the dirt and get a better <laughs> passer rating than just the 0.57 that you get when a quarterback makes a turnover-worthy throw. These turnover-worthy throws are intercepted at best 60% of the time. The worse the grade gets on the throw, the higher the interception rate. It gets up to like somewhere near 70 or 80% uh, of these for the most poorly graded throws. And of those turnover-worthy plays, Winston ranks 31st in turnover-worthy play last season. He does not take care of the football, and if the 49ers are going to get an interception uh, in the secondary, this is a great place to start. Was that your way of humble bragging that you are a better quarterback than Jameis Winston? Oh, absolutely not. He is a much (laughs) better quarterback than I could ever be. He's just not a great NFL quarterback. Uh, Much like I am a much better quarterback than a peewee football player, but that doesn't mean... (laughs) 
that 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 well, it doesn't mean much of anything really because they're probably just as big as me. Uh, so let's get to Bruce Arians because I think Bruce Arians is is really the story when it comes to Jameis Winston. We have the story on Jameis Winston, but if anyone is gonna be credited with turning Jameis Winston around, it is Bruce Arians. And Bruce Arians, of course, brings with him that no no risk it no biscuit philosophy, uh, and that's something that could really test. The 49ers corners, especially if they don't bring uh, their A game, because Arian's scheme is uh, is pretty awesome. Yeah, he he uh, he loves to sling it down the field. Like it is a fun offense to watch. It's not going to be the most efficient offense by any means, but we get to third and one, we get to second and three. To most coordinators, that means they're going to dump it off or they're going to run the ball. To Bruce Arians. That means the same as it means on first and 10, on third and 17. He's going to throw the ball down the field, four verticals. We're going to see some posts. We're going to see all, all kind of route combinations that are where you see most route concepts between you know, 10, 12, 15 yards. He is 15 and up. Uh, how, do you, how do you like aesthetically, aesthetically, how do you like his offense? I think his offense is really, really, it's really good. It's really smart. He, he does some things with his route combinations that really put the safeties and second level defenders in conflict. Uh, whereas Mike Shanahan uh, or Kyle Shanahan, really, it, Kyle <laughs> Shanahan's going to attack those, those linebackers a lot of the time, especially with play action. I, I think that Arians really likes to attack those second level defenders. You know, he's got a lot of posts and double moves in his arsenal, and he's going to deploy them with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who are a great wide receiver pair for the Buccaneers. And one thing to watch on Sunday when you're watching Tampa Bay uh, play the 49ers is if you see those wide receivers line up in a, in a really short set, a condensed split, um, then you really start ne- needing to look for the, the H-follow concept that he likes to run, where he did this with Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona a ton. Uh, basically, he's got a drag route that goes across the formation and then a little angle route or, or a delayed slant almost that comes in behind that route. And normally, that's, I mean, that's a concept that Cal Shanahan runs, right? But what he does is he places a deep post on the other side. And if you're playing quarters or a split safety look, which the Niners often checked to in the preseason when they saw a bunch of wide receivers, then it puts that safety in conflict. And if he goes after the, the slant or the delayed slant, which could be like someone like a Mike Evans, then that post is going to be open over the top with Chris Godwin. Or vice versa, if the safety stays deep, then all of a sudden you've got a, an easier read for that underneath uh, one-on-one matchup with the, uh, the wide receiver. So that's how you're going to give Jameis Winston some defined looks. That's how you're going to make him look better than he is. And it is, I think, Bruce Arians that can do that. Yeah, he is going to absolutely test the eye discipline of the players right down the middle of the field, whether that's Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, and Jimmy Ward. And he's going to... Test the, he's going to run somebody off. He's going to sneak somebody in, like you mentioned, right behind him. And you can't take the cheese. That's pretty much what defense would say. You can't take the cheese. You can't fall for the first crosser and run out of your zone, think you're going to get him. Because usually when somebody's leaving, somebody's coming either right back to you or somebody's going to replace him. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know, if they are able to catch the 49ers off guard because they had a lot of mental mistakes last last year and it led to big plays. So we will see how much of an impact Joe Woods will make. All right. So Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they're a pretty solid wide receiver pair. Who do you think gets the better of the matchup this weekend? Because they're going up against the Keller Witherspoon and Richard Sherman, who, again, I mean, the corners are the suspect area of the 49ers defense and the secondary is as a whole. And now they're getting a pretty solid test here with Tampa Bay. Uh, what do you think ends up happening with those matchups? As one of the biggest Sherman fans in the world, 
Tampa Bay has the advantage in this matchup. And I think we're going to find out pretty quick if Witherspoon has any sort of ball skills. I think that's been sort of holding him back, just being able to find the ball, make plays on the ball. And James is going to throw it up, and Godwin is going to make those contested plays. And we all know that Evans is going to make those contested plays. So um, if Witherspoon is able to contest some of these throws, they'll be fine. But if he if he can't find the ball, it's probably going to be a long afternoon for the 49ers defense. Yeah, I think they really have an advantage here at the wide receiver position. And this is, I think, where it really comes down to what the 49ers can do with their pass rush and whether their gamble of investing all this in the pass rush is really going to pay off. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to our key matchup to watch because it will revolve around the trenches. And the other thing when you're looking at the game is the 49ers offense taking advantage of a suspect defense because the Tampa Bay defense was not super great last year. They had one of the worst coverage grades in the NFL. Actually, I think they finished third to last, uh, where the 49ers finished last in the NFL in terms of PFF coverage grade. And now they've got a new, a new defensive coordinator. They've got Todd Bowles. He's in town to reprise his defensive success that he found in Arizona with none other than Bruce Arians. Uh, and so he's going to bring a couple of schematic changes to the Arizona Cardinals, and he's going to bring in some players like Deion Buchanan that he's been able to deploy positively before. But I think all told, despite the fact that that Tampa Bay has a couple of pieces. They don't have a super solid defense overall. Yeah, and, and Bowles is a great play caller. Like he is he is very, very good at what he does. But Tampa Bay just doesn't have very many good players on their defense. And I feel like Kyle Shanahan is going to put these guys in a press. So I think they're going to be sort of like a dog chasing their tail, trying to figure out what's going on and how to stop them. If the 49ers do what I think they're going to do. And I, I believe they're going to spread them out and kind of not so much dink and dunk, but just kind of level them out. So we'll see probably a bunch of short routes, five-yard route, just like you said, the follow concept where there's something underneath and there's something over the top, and they're going to put the linebackers in a bind and make them make a play. And I don't think that they'll be able to. Yeah, when you look overall at their defense, it's really the the inside linebackers that are a little inexperienced. You think Devin White, he is fast as a holy get out, but he is a rookie. And, and you can maybe attack that rookie and make it, give him some false keys and make him take a couple of false steps and throw the ball right over the top. Carl Nassib, uh, as an outside linebacker, I'm probably more worried about his stock tips than I am necessarily about him as a player. <laughs> Um, you know, so I do think there's some opportunities there, but I do think that it's a secondary where you begin to see some of the vulnerabilities that you might want to attack. Uh, and, and this is where I think it's going to be interesting because the 49ers wide receivers were not super adept at getting off of press coverage last year. And yet we know that that's what Todd Bowles likes to leverage his corners up in press man. And, and that's something the Niners were not really great at beating last year. I think it'll be an interesting test for a player like Dante Pettis to see whether he can beat that one-on-one -on -one press uh, that he oftentimes couldn't beat last year because that was kind of the Achilles heel of the wide receiving core last year. And that was the MO to beat them. It was cool. Their players are just not better than our players. So let's put the corners up on the line. Let's hit their wide receivers and let's see what happens. And oftentimes it didn't end positively for the 49ers. Yeah, that, that must be a slap in the face when you see that as a player, knowing that they're going to press you they're probably not going to put any help over the top and you still won't be able to get open. But Tampa Bay made a bunch of different. Um, they added some corners. They drafted Jamel Dean in the third round. They drafted Sean Bunting in the second round. So they have these long pressed corners, a lot like uh, Witherspoon. And they also have Carlton Davis, who another long guy from Auburn. But um, yeah, Pettis is going to Pettis is going to have to 
perform like Shanahan knows he can. And I'm another guy that's really high on Pettis, and I'm not really buying, you know, all this, you know, pushing him and taking his game to the next step. But I think, honestly, the best matchup in this game will be Debo Samuel. I think he's going to – I think this is going to be one of those things where slant, just get the ball in his hands, reverse, slant, curl. But I also think double move, I think he's going to hit on a double move, much like he did in the preseason where – um, the corners are super aggressive. They're, they like to jump routes and usually long press corners aren't the most agile. So when you get them on a double move, you'll be able to make them a little susceptible. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think the 49ers have the advantage on this side of the ball. So it's funny, it's funny enough that you mentioned Debo on a slant because that's actually one of the new rules in the Better Rivals drinking game, which yes. I'm going to send out here in a little bit. I actually sent out, I tweeted out just a, a teaser a little bit ago, but uh, yeah, we've got a couple, like we've got the, the Ford, uh, the Ford uh, rule where if you jump off sides, uh, you drink. That's an homage to number 55, Ahmad Brooks. Uh, we've cool. got if Debo catches a slant, you drink. Uh, we've got a couple of others in there, so I'll probably post that in the next couple of days. But if you're looking to get drunk for both happy reasons and sad reasons, we're your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Better rivals, baby. That's right. There, there's a beer can opening at the beginning of the show for a reason. Uh, all right, so let's get to a couple of key matchups to watch because at this point, we've got some choices, right? We've got the return of Quan Alexander, uh, the, the Hot Boys Part 2. We've got the punters. Hey, man, you're here for the punter snaps. Let's do it. Bradley Pinion over the preseason, 23 attempts for Pinion, 6 down inside the 20, average hang time, 4.24 seconds. Wisnowski, 17 attempts, 10 down inside the 20, and a 4.32 average hang time. We also have a Wisnowski rule in the drinking game that's been affectionately named the PFF David drinking uh, game rule. So Pinion and Wisnowski, I think that you know, everything. The the legend of Wisnowski continues to grow. It's growing to the fact that Pinion, so 4.2 is pretty good, but 4.32 is obviously significantly better. Um, it is Pinion, a whole tenth of a second better, which is, <laughs> it's it's so significant, it's ridiculous. It's so, it's like a whole round in the draft larger pretty of much. a difference. Yeah, look. Literally, um, the fifth round of the fourth round. Pinion yeah. was in the fifth round, Wisnowski was in the fourth. That is literally the difference. So, yeah, Wisnowski, and I know, you know, we, we love the puns here on, on Better Rivals. So it's more like Pinyon when he's compared to Mitch Wisnowski. I'm not sure that I understood that reference. <laughs> P-I-N-Y-A-W-N. Oh, man. That was, you know, man. that was, I'm, I'm going to give you a little golf clap for that one. That was good. because. Yeah, the whole point of puns, by the way, is to make it just unbearable, oh, like eye roll. Unbearably terrible. I'm, I'm yeah. right there with you. I'm right there with you. That's why I'm giving you the golf clap. It's good. <laughs> uh, but actually, the, the matchup to watch, actually, is the starting offensive line, uh, the starting guard from the, uh, the old Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Alex Kappa, if we're on the pun train, Mr. Alex Saka. Uh, because hey, he allowed three total pressures in 28 pass blocking snaps uh, in the preseason. And you think to yourself, okay. That's it's just a preseason. It's not that big of a deal. You know, he is a highly or relatively highly drafted individual who's been getting some pub recently. Uh, but when you look at his limited snaps last year, he had 75 pass blocking snaps. He allowed 10 pressures in 75 pass blocking snaps. That's not great. That's basically 10 pressures in a little over a game. That's absurd. If you think of a player that converts a pressure to a sack, like at the top end of that level, around like 30%, that's three sacks 
on Alex Kappa in one game alone, which is about what he gave up in the game against Cleveland when he played one half and he gave up two sacks uh, and a bunch of pressures uh, in that game. So I think when you look at someone like DeForest Buckner lined up against Alex Kappa, that's a matchup that if you're a Niners fan and this game is going well is when the Niners are dominating. Yeah, I would imagine that DeForest Buckner is licking his chops when he's just watching. I mean, the entire defensive line when they're watching um, the the, um, the Browns go up against the Tampa Bay Bucks and just they've struggled. And Kappa isn't the only person that struggled, which is even better news for the 49ers. They have two. They're both of their tackles are essentially blocking sleds at this point. Um, Donovan Smith just can't seem to stay in can't keep anybody from getting past him. Um, DeMar Dotson, not much better. So I, I can see why the 49ers would love to roll Bosa out. Hopefully he's 100%, but Bosa and Ford should eat these guys for lunch, man. It should be it should be a very um, a very fun day for the 49ers D-line. I think the training staff needs to roll a couple clips of Alex Kappa and that offensive line to show them to Bosa, and I think his ankle will heal up just a, a little faster. <laughs> Uh, but all of that comes to what we think the game outcome is going to be, because if you're watching this game and the Niners are able to get a turnover because they're able to make Jameis Winston be more Jameis Winston like uh, if that defense for Tampa Bay shows its inexperience and shows its youth and the transition is a little bit rough um, and the 49ers pass rush can get to Jameis Winston and force him into a couple of decisions, I think it ends up in, in a positive outcome for the 49ers. Um, so all that being said, do you think that is likely to be the case or do you think that you know the, the Niners are still knocking some rust off and ultimately the, the game is tighter and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are able to pull this out? That's, yeah, that's a good question. There's going to be a lot of moving parts in this game. You know, We have Jimmy Garoppolo playing first live football for four quarters for the first time in pretty much a year. Uh, we have new head coach on the other side with trying to figure out what to do on offense with Jameis Winston. If, is he able to run his stuff with Jameis Winston? I do think there will be a lot of points just because both defenses are, I mean, at this point, the 49ers are not proven. We, we, we can say that they're going to be good on paper, but we need to see what they look like. We need to see if the secondary is able to make plays. So I think Tampa Bay is going to be able to score. I think the 49ers are going to be able to score even more because I just don't see Tampa Bay being able to stop them. That, that secondary is actually worse, in my opinion, than the 49ers, and that is saying something. I think you would agree with that. Um, I have 27-24 Niners. Yeah, I think that score is not too far off. The, the Vegas line has them as a pick at this point. The line started in May, I think, with the Niners as two-and-a-half-point dogs, and now it's basically an even game. So line shifted a bit, and, and I think the over/under on the game is fifty. So I think that's a, a pretty a pretty accurate uh, prediction if you're a betting man, uh, and I think that you are. I am. I'm going to have a betting column every Friday. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be good. I, I think that that I can't disagree with the outcome. I do think the Niners end up winning this game. I do think it's probably closer than a lot of people will think, and, and I don't I don't disagree with that twenty seven twenty four score. I think that's a really good spot to put them. I do think, though, that even if the flip side happens, even if the Niners lose this game and they end up going into to Cincinnati 0-1, I don't think that it's necessarily the end of the world when everyone's looking at a beatable Tampa Bay game and they're like, oh, what the hell? I think that, that Matt Barrows had a really good story about the 2011 Niner team that he covered, and he said it was the best Niner team that he's covered as, as a beat reporter for the Niners. And they started similarly, kind of slow out of the gate. 
But eventually they picked up a couple of really key wins and rattled off seven in a row and eventually, of course, made it to the NFC Championship game. So I think that the the schedule early on for the Niners has a couple of interesting games. I think the Niners are going to be knocking some rust off. And and I do think that they will end up with probably uh, what looks like a better team later on in the year. Yeah, and that's a really good point just to talk about losing the first game. If the, if the 49ers are not able to beat the Bucks, it's not the end of the world. Like they're still figuring things out and it'll probably take a month, like up until the bye week just to figure out what exactly they, they can do. They're going to be figuring out, you know, a role for Debo Samuel. They're going to be figuring out what the, all the receivers can do, whether it's, um, get it, do they need to get the ball more to Tevin Coleman? Do they need to get the ball more to Matt Breida who can block? And then on defense, you have, you know, all this new D line or, you know, where do I play Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead? How many snaps can I leave Bosa and D Ford out? Um, how is my secondary performing? Is should Witherspoon play? Should Verrett play? Where do I put Jimmy Ward? There's just so many moving parts for this team that it's it's naive to think that everything will be solved during the first game. So yeah, it'll be a long season, but I think it's more about how they perform in November and December as opposed to September. Well, I think that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Uh, it, football's back, my friend. It's it's going to be a fun-filled weekend. You've got games Thursday. I will be at Texas LSU on Saturday. Uh, and then the game is finally here on Sunday. Man, it, it is. It's it's good to write about something meaningful now. We don't have to uh, we don't have to fake analysis. We don't have to, you know, pretend anything. We get to talk about actual football. So with that, Go 49ers and with Go G E A U X L S U baby. No, I'm not gonna let you get away with that one. Definitely <laughs> not gonna happen. There's no go. There's actually a shirt I contemplated getting. Uh, that it's they're selling it at the co-op here in Austin. It says Go Home Kitty, uh, and it's G E A U X uh, Home wow. Kitty. Wow. Oh man, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fire emoji as the kids say. <laughs> I think the kids yeah. still say that, right? Oh uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, for sure. Right up there with like lit and on fleek, right? <laughs> Um, so thanks again for tuning in everyone you can always follow me on twitter at better rivals kyle where can they follow you you can follow me at kp underscore show and i promise i am nowhere near as hip as the kids yeah trust me me either uh thanks again for tuning in and as always go niners go niners